we, uh, as we've been mentioning today, is my last day as interim minister, and we've done this for six months. And I sure appreciate your uh, support and encouragement during that time. I'm not sure. The first three months we spent uh, every Sunday having a winter storm. And then the next three months we spent having like a thunderstorm, even last Sunday. Early in the morning, overnight, just terrible storm. So today's the first bright sunny one. I'm not sure if the Lord's saying, Dan is starting to turn around, or if he's saying, Dan, you, you better turn around and get out of here, something like that. I've had four uh, church partings uh, in my ministry life, and this will be by far the easiest one. I'm sure of that. Uh, the first one, Marla and I were fairly newly married, and uh, we got married in July of 79. It was July, wasn't it? No, I'm just kidding. I know that. And, and uh, then in December, November, December time frame of that year, we were students at Ozark. I decided, well, hey, I better start, you know, doing something. And so I put in the office to fill in at churches, and I got a call in early December uh, from the office, and they said they need somebody to preach Sunday at Dadeville, Missouri. It's a small church over maybe, you know, where Dadeville is. Uh, just about uh, off of 160, a few miles, uh, about an hour or so east of here. And I said, yeah, that'd, that'd be great. So I went over there, and I preached, and, and I said, now, where was your last minister, or who was here before? And they told me his name, and I knew him. He was a classmate of ours at Ozark, still was, and I said, well, what's the deal? Why am I preaching? They said, we're not sure. He just preached one Sunday and he never came back. And so when I got back to school and saw Jeff the next time, I asked him, and he said, well, I got a different church. It was in Galena. And he said, uh, they paid more, et cetera. So, you know, I just started preaching. Everybody never told them. And so they said, well, you come back next Sunday. And then they just kept saying that, you come back next Sunday. It was a year and a half. They never did say, you're the minister, but they just kept saying, you come back next Sunday. Well, when it got into about April, March, maybe March of 1981, and I was going to graduate in early May, the church had grown a little bit. It started out in the 30s, and we were up in about 60 people every week, and we started thinking, hey, you know, this could work. I would be their first full-time minister that they ever had in their history. They always just had students and part-time and stuff. And we started talking about that, and they said, well, how much do you need a week? And so we figured out completely naively, you know, $13 for insurance and $43 for food and all that. And I think I came up with we could live on, we need $230 a week to live on. Of course, we went back and forth and all that. Oh, we'll give you, you know, and all that. And we agreed on something. And they said, and then I said in the meeting, now, where are we going to live? And they decided that they would buy a new double wide and bring it in. And we were just excited as heck about that. We just lived in two or three rental places and all that. And we were just really excited. So during the month of April, uh, we were taking a couple-week trip down to the Caribbean where my folks were with another couple and uh, to see the mission work and so forth down there. And, and they said, by the time you get back, and this will be the end of April, and I'm going to graduate in about two weeks. They said, by the time you get back, we'll have your double-wide ready to move into or be working on that. Okay, and, and of course, I don't know what working on that means, the footings or whatever. We had a good trip, and we got back and got up there and, and hadn't done anything. Matter of fact, they kind of forgot that. So, so we got in the meeting 
this is no fool in the first meeting after that. And they said, so you're getting things arranged where you can move here full time? And I said, well, you don't have anywhere to me to move to. And they said, well, we'll get around to that. And I said, you know, I think I probably um, will consider uh, other things and go on someplace else rather than do this because it looks like too big an undertaking and stuff. And one of the fellows in there, in the meeting, in the meeting, he said, this is all he said. He said, don't bother coming back next Sunday. So that was the goodbye that never happened. I never even got to say goodbye. So they, I'm sure Sunday the same thing happened. They called somebody else and he came up and they said, well, what happened to the last guy? Well, he, I don't know. He just never came back. Our, our, our second one, we had a wonderful ministry in a small town in northwest Missouri, and that was 15 years. And just, and just like here, we stayed here full-time 15 years and just gut-wrenching um, for me. Uh, leaving and, and moving and then retirement here. Now, the thing that made here easier was knowing that we would still be a part of the church here, so it wasn't as difficult, but I anticipate this one being a, a lot simpler. I do. And so we're looking forward to the Frex coming uh, next Lord's Day. And again, Jim will be here uh, starting tomorrow in the office and this week. And I think last time I heard they, they were kind of focused on, I'm not sure about that yet, but closing on a house at the end of the week, and then uh, he'll be preaching next Lord's Day, 21st. We're going to finish um, today. We've been looking at, this will be the fifth week, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul. And I, I thought this was really good, and it's part of the reason I chose it. Remember last Lord's Day in chapter 4, as we finished, the second half of that was a, a well-known, uh, just a kind of a beautiful part of Scripture about Jesus coming back. And uh, the, the Christians, both we who are still alive, or he says you are left, and, and the ones who preceded us in death, who, who have already died, how it works out with them timing-wise in Jesus' return. And then that's end of chapter 4, and in chapter 5 kind of continues that thought, talking about the coming of the Lord, um, but just a little different twist on it. And then the second half of chapter 5, and we'll read parts of this, or a whole bunch of, if you use New International Version, uh, it, the summary of that section, that last section is just two words, and it just says final instructions. So I thought that was good. That'll be Paul's final instructions, and that'll be Dan's final instructions from Paul. So it's not like if I say something that steps on your toes and hurts, it's not like I'm saying it, it's Paul saying it, that's where we were, right? Naturally. Okay. I um, never did renew my watch contract, and, uh, and so... I was using my cell phone, but somewhere between the office and here, I lost that. Where? Oh, beautiful. Thank you, Brenda. Beautiful. That way I won't go too far over. Okay. And wait a minute. One last time I have to do this. Good morning. Good morning, Dan. All right, Eddie. Nice. We, uh... So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
And again, there, there's not even a break as far as a, a title for that section there because Paul continues to talk about, to write to them about, remember, uh, these are persecuted Christians that Doug just talked about like that, maybe a different fashion, but uh, very much being persecuted because of their faith and some of it life-threatening, or at least they knew that possibility existed. And so he's talking about the coming of the Lord, Jesus coming back. And he just continues that, but he changes just a little. And in, in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says this, Now, brothers, about times and dates, you'll see what he's talking about. We don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So the first thing he's going to say about that, not talking anymore about um, the, Lord, the Lord coming back and what's going to happen with Christians who are still alive and Christians that have died and so forth. Now he's talking about timing. I'm sure there's been discussion, and he's writing about that, about when Jesus is coming back. And don't you just imagine that's all the more real when people are being persecuted and maybe even martyred? And they're wondering, hey, am I going to have to endure this until I die? Or will I die because of this? Is there going to be any more that peaceful life I enjoyed before I became a Christian. Mark chapter 13 and verse 32, Jesus says that he doesn't even know when he's coming back. The angels don't know that. So certainly we won't know that. Only God does. He does, however, say it'll surprise everybody. Not that it's happening, Christians know that it's coming, that he's coming, but the timing will surprise them. They don't know when. However, the most important part of that is, even though you don't know when he's coming back, you know, you know he's coming back, you just don't know when, we need to live in expectation of that. We need to be ready for him to come at any time. And then he starts this contrast. A contrast between Christians who are convinced he's coming back and are getting ready for his coming. They're in the process of becoming more Christ-like and more Christ-ready versus non-Christians who don't expect that or aren't willing to do what it takes to prepare for that. And look at these contrasts. He calls Christians sons of the light. And that light would be knowledge of and relationship with God and with Christ. Sons of the light and day. And he talks about those who don't know Christ as living in darkness. Living in sin. He's saying that Christians aren't going to be surprised that he's coming back. Just the timing of it. Non-Christians will be surprised when he comes back, and not just the timing of it, they'll be surprised and shocked that he's coming back. I love that 
commercial one I, I contemplated showing in here. I just didn't know if you could do that, and I didn't check into it that much. About the mayhem guy, the insurance guy. And here's this homeowner that has a cell phone now that's hooked up to the camera at his house, and not only has the visual, it has the sound. And the mayhem guy shows up and, and says hi to him, and he says, what? And he says, what are you doing? And, well, I'm the one that's here to steal your car. What? And he just increasingly gets louder. What? As the guy grabs a post out of his yard and smashes the window and drives off in his car and on the way runs over his trash can and his motorcycle, and the guy just keeps going, what? That's everybody that's not in relationship with Christ. What? Paul says it'll surprise them like a thief would. Even though they've been told and warned. We Christians are to be alert and we're to be self-controlled. And we talked about that last week. Non-Christians asleep. Paul's words. And this is not asleep as in dead. This is asleep as in not ready. Not paying attention. Not caring. These Christians are getting ready for the coming of the Lord and preparing for that. They're characterized by being people of faith, hope, and love. The ones who are outside of Christ are not only asleep, but they're drunk when the call comes. We Christians will receive salvation. Those outside of Christ will suffer wrath. We Christians will live together with Him. Those outside of Christ will live apart from Him. Now I say this over and over and over, and I don't think I've said it in six months, but I think it comes down to this. Both for Christians and non-Christians. No matter how much we learn about heaven and, and contemplate heaven and Look forward to heaven, not, not too quickly, but we look forward to heaven. I don't think we Christians have any idea. I just don't think it's humanly possible how wonderful living eternally with God will be. I don't think that's possible. And on the flip side, I don't think we have any idea how terrible it will be to eternally live apart from God. Now the Bible alludes to that and it tries to describe that, but I don't think we have any idea. I've had numerous people say to me, well, at least I'll have company. I think a lot of people have the idea now that it's going to be one big, wild, crazy party. I think some of our young people think, well, I'll be all right if I have my smartphone. I don't think we have any idea 
how wonderful living with God will be or how terrible living apart from God will be. And that's what this is about, becoming convinced of that. And, and I don't think Paul tells us about the plight of non-Christians both now and if they continue to be outside a relationship with Christ, just to contrast those things and say, hey, we're good or we're better off than you are or they are, whatever. I, I, I don't think that's right. I think that's intended as motivation to try to change that for their sake. And then he gives final instructions here in the second half, 12 through 28. And uh, you've talked with people along this line. The last couple of times I visited my mom, uh, she was all about final instructions. And, and a lot of hers had to do with little things that she wanted to leave family members, uh, jewelry she'd bought, overseas on trips and that to, to daughters-in-law and, and granddaughters and stuff like that and so forth. And, and also about final arrangements, how she wanted her service done and all that kind of thing. And a lot of those were what were the biggest part of her final instructions. Now, if I got, and I, I tried to, I said, Mom, what's most important to you going through this as you're leaving? And she said, well, probably that you and your brother have a good relationship. And my brother and I don't have a bad relationship at all. We're probably as close as, you know, somebody would normally be living that far apart and having completely different lifestyles and, and things like that. But, but we, so we have a fairly good relationship, but that was important to her, that we have a good relationship. Now, Paul's kind of saying that same thing. He's saying in here, it's important to me as I close this letter, his final instructions, that you Christians have good relationships with each other. And, and even with people that aren't yet Christians, but especially that you have good relationships with each other. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. I'm in verse 12. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. So, first thing he says in final instructions, respect your leaders. And this is a great one as we have a new minister coming and beginning this week. Respect your leaders. Not just respect them, but hold them in the highest regard in love. They work hard ministering to you and, and trying to take care of you and help you spiritually respect them. And not just the minister, but the leaders of the church. Live in peace with each other. I was amazed when I added these up and they, they jump all around. But in, in, I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but of the nine fruit of the spirits in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Of those nine, Paul mentions about seven of them in here. As hopefully characterizing Christians and the relationships among Christians. Live in peace with each other. 
warn the idle. Paul's mentioned several times in this letter to the Thessalonian Christians that they need to work. They need to work hard so that will reflect well on God and Christianity. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient, there's another one, the fruit of the Spirit, with everyone. Don't pay back wrong for wrong, and I think the idea he's getting at there is not revenge, of course, that's not Christian, that's not what God wants, not revenge, but forgiveness. Be kind. I love that t-shirt I saw the other day. Marla said that's kind of going around. It's, it was new for me, but apparently it's not new, and many have seen it in different forms. In a world where you can be anything, be kind. I like that. Another fruit of the Spirit. Be joyful always, he says. And, and remember, he's writing to people that are being persecuted simply because they choose to follow Christ. Be joyful always. Now that's not the same as happiness. Biblical joy is not the same as happiness. How many times have we seen and even said ourselves, maybe about our child, maybe about somebody else, well, I, I just want him or her to be happy. Happiness is a feeling that comes and goes. Biblical joy, one of the fruit of the Spirit, is not a feeling. It's a fruit. It's, it's something that grows because we're rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. A feeling depends, uh, 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 happiness, a feeling depends on what's going on around us. Biblical joy depends on what's going on inside us the presence of Christ. Pray continually. Not just at meal times. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Develop that mindset and that habit of being a thankful person. If you've got children, start them on that. What are you thankful for? And help them if they need help. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. What is, meaning, what does God want to do in your life? And allow Him to work. Test everything. He seems to be saying, make sure that, make sure that it's a God thing and a good thing. Test it and make sure that's the case. If it's not, and steer away from that. Avoid every kind of evil, Paul says. And what will God do if we do that? Well, he'll sanctify us. We talked about that last Lord's Day. He'll, he'll use us. We'll be set apart for God's use. For the creator of the whole universe to use us. And he'll keep us blameless when Jesus comes back and we stand before God in judgment. We'll be blameless.
He closes with, in verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful. And, and then he says, and he will do it. And biblical faithful is just simply that. You say something, you do it. It's not always a spiritual thing, or the word doesn't always mean a spiritual thing. It just means you commit to something, and you do it, and you keep doing it. In relationship with God, I choose to obey God. I choose to serve God. I'm committed to that, and I'm always going to do that. God's faithful, and he wants us to be faithful. We're going to go into our time of uh, decision right now, and Again, as we do every Lord's Day, we implore you, if you're not a Christian, if you've not been baptized into Jesus Christ and started that relationship with Him, please do that now. Don't wait. Don't put that off. It, it's, it's not a difficult thing. It's a very easy thing. The harder part is living for Jesus Christ every day. These Christians at Thessalonica know that. Maybe you have some other kind of spiritual need or decision, one uh, we could help you with up front or even catch one of the leaders afterward and would love to try to do that. Let's stand. And... Heavenly Father, uh, thank you again for your care and uh, for the opportunity uh, that I had to uh, minister here in the in-between and um, get to know uh, some of the folks again better and uh, one of the great blessings was to get to know uh, some of the folks that have been here since I was and uh, see how plugged in and, and excited about you they are and how active in your body. Father, we look forward to you using all of us in the days ahead. In your son's name we pray.